He says, greet everybody, but then he says, and I warn you. And he brings a warning. And it's a warning specifically regarding false teachers and teachings. And notice how they're described. Look at verse 17. He says, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissension. False teachers cause dissension and hindrances. They cause literally stumblings, scandalon. We get our word scandal from it. They teach contrary to the teaching which you've learned. They are slaves, verse 18, not of Christ, but of their own appetites, their own bellies. And they're smooth. <laughs> they're smooth, notice. And uh, smooth talkers, and they're deceivers. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Greetings and Warnings. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, you know, in one sense, you could say that's just uh, some greetings. Uh, some people, uh, names are hard to pronounce, we don't know them, you know, and you could just read right through it. But I want to draw your attention to just a couple of things because uh, we're reminded, we ought to be reminded every time we come to the Scripture that God wrote this for our instruction. And uh, there's good reason to think about why He wrote it. And there's several things that I draw your attention to. First of all, notice from verse 6 to 16 there, really starting back at verse 3, the emphasis on work. Verse 3, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers. It's the word we get energy from, energetic from. They were fellow workers. Mary, verse 6, has worked hard for you. And this is a different term he uses now. And not the term for energy, but labor, toil, labor to exhaustion. Mary was a hard laborer for the Lord. Verse 9, Urbanus, our fellow worker. Verse 12, Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers, laborers in the Lord. Persis, the beloved, who's worked hard in the Lord. I'll tell you what. Following Christ involves work. Ministry is not just laid back, take it easy. There's energy involved. And Paul commended these who have worked hard, who've labored, who've toiled. And, you know, there's no, no better purpose, no higher calling than to get tired serving Christ. I mean, you know what it's like to get tired of, at work, to put in extra hours. And uh, that's a commendable thing to give it your best shot. And companies like that, and bosses like that, and uh, there's nothing wrong with working to exhaustion from time to time. But don't spend your life down here where you'd say the majority of when you're exhausted is because you've done it for your career's sake. Uh, get exhausted for the Lord every now and then. Maybe regularly. And I'm not saying that the Christian life is one big drained time, but uh, we ought not to be shy of hard work. And Paul commends it several times in this list. 
And then I also notice his warm heart of love. Look at verse 5, my beloved. Verse 8, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, my beloved. Verse 12, my beloved, the beloved. And he names these people and calls them his beloved ones. You know, he, he really he cared for these people. And we might read right by them. They might be no-namers as to the world, and they might even be no-namers, and in one sense they are, to the church. I mean, you know, to... But here they are on the pages of Scripture, commended by Paul as my beloved ones. And the apostle, we've seen right along, he's got the heart of Christ. He models the heart of Christ. And it's a high and holy calling to be working for the Lord, to be serving the Lord, to be part of whatever the Lord's doing in the place where he puts you, whatever city you're in, to be plugged in with his people, serving the King of Kings. That's the highest calling. And Paul loves to uh, speak of them as his beloved. And we should, uh, we should have that same kind of uh, heart. And then look at verse 7. Notice these two guys, Andronicus and Junias, my kinsmen. It could be, it could be that he just means they're fellow members of the tribe of Benjamin, because remember, Paul was a tribe of Benjamin, and he was a Jew, and they knew which tribe they were in, and he could be just saying my kinsmen, but it could be that they were relatives of his. And either way, they were fellow prisoners. And uh, I'm reminded... He says, greet my fellow prisoners, those who've been in prison with him. And I'm reminded today that I'm told that there has been more persecution of the church quantity-wise in the 20th century than in all the other centuries. And I know that now in the 21st century, there are still places in the world today, this morning, where people are in prison because they love Jesus Christ. And we should pray for them, Hebrews 13 says. And let me encourage you to remember those who are in prison for the Lord's sake. And Paul just comments on it. We get used to that language because most of Paul's letters, and not most, but some of them were written from prison, and he was in and out of prison. But don't take that lightly. And then notice he says they're outstanding among the apostles. And this could mean, and some take it to mean, that they were well thought of. They were outstanding as far as what the apostles thought of them. Or it could be a non-technical use of the term apostle, which simply means sent one. They were not apostles in the sense of one of the twelve, but this is, I think, probably a, 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 an example, an instance of the non-technical use of the term apostle. It just simply means sent ones. And then... Uh, Notice, he says, these guys were also in Christ. Look at the end of verse 7. They were in Christ before me. Now, if they were his relatives, his kinsmen, cousins, or whatever, it could have been that they, uh, and it wouldn't be at all surprising, that they prayed for Saul, this kinsman of theirs who was busy persecuting the church. And I can imagine they prayed and what a joy to see that transformation. And I don't care who you're praying for in your family. Don't quit. You say, ah, oh, they never. I know them too well. Well, if you knew Saul of Tarsus, it'd be easy to say that, wouldn't it? Ah, there's no sense praying for him. I've prayed for him long enough. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like he'd ever change. He changed. He met the risen Christ. People come to know Christ when they meet him. They're changed. 
And Saul is a continual example that this persecutor, violent aggressor who became the great apostle Paul. So don't quit praying. And these guys were in Christ before him, and I wouldn't be surprised they prayed for him. Then down in verse 13, notice Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Rufus was a choice man in the Lord, and then Paul says, and his mother and mine. I take it that Rufus's mother, Rufus's family, had perhaps taken Paul in and... and uh, been a family to him. Now, we don't know where that would have been or when that would have been, but he, he talks about it that way. And this could be, and in fact, I have a suspicion that it is. If you look over at Mark, turn to Mark for a minute. Mark 15. Rufus, uh, you know, Mark is the gospel that was written to Rome. Uh, the four gospels have different target audiences, and Mark was written to the Romans. And, uh, Mark tells us, just in passing, chapter 15, verse 21, that when they were leading Christ out to crucify him, when he was wearied from the flogging and all the mistreatment they'd given him and was unable to carry the cross, verse 21, they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, he puts in parentheses, that he might bear his cross. Now, how would the Romans know who this Simon was? Well, he's the father of Alexander and Rufus because they now lived in Rome. Mark tells us. And I wouldn't be surprised that that's the Rufus that Paul is greeting here. And it's just kind of an interesting connection that you see among these first century Christians. Well, overall, it seems to me in these first 16 verses of greetings, we see a warmth and a love on Paul's part. Though he was a statesman, though he was an evangelist, though he continually was wanting to get out to new frontiers, he had a warm apostolic heart. He, he loved these people, and he greeted them, and he showed them care, and he, and he told the, the Romans to do that. You know, greet, greet these people, and he said, take good care of Phoebe, and we should show that same kind of thing. But now his tone changes. His tone changes. Like any good shepherd, he's concerned for the sheep. And he says, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I'm rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He says, greet everybody, but then he says, and I warn you. And he brings a warning. And it's a warning specifically regarding false teachers and teachings. And notice how they're described. Look at verse 17. He says, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissension, false teachers cause dissension, and hindrances. They cause literally stumblings, scandalon. We get our word scandal from it. 
They teach contrary to the teaching which you've learned. They are slaves, verse 18, not of Christ, but of their own appetites, their own bellies. And they're smooth. <laughs> they're smooth, notice. And uh, smooth talkers, and they're deceivers. Now, I'm not talking here. Paul's not talking here. Keep your eye on Christians that differ with you on one little doctrinal issue. Uh, that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying you be sure and watch out for anybody that would teach just a little bit, you know, different mode of baptism than you do. No, no. He's talking about false teachers. And he says, look out, watch out. We would say, look out for the cults. Look out for the fraudulent Christian teachers and leaders in every generation who would be described here in verse 17 and 18. And let me just briefly talk about it a little bit. First of all, they cause dissensions. Uh, cults, for instance, they pray on dividing churches and dividing the church. Any group that comes to you and one of their main teachings is anti-church and always criticizing the whole church, look out, watch out. Uh, false teachers are marked by that kind of thing, dividing what God wants together. Secondly, they cause, notice verse 17, hindrances, or as I said, stumblings, scandalon, scandals. Uh, by the way, much of the scandal within the church in any particular generation is perpetrated by false teachers who lead the church astray either doctrinally or morally. He says, watch out for these type. Woe to those who cause my children to stumble. It's inevitable, Jesus said, that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom they come. God really spoke seriously about this. And when Christ comes back, Matthew 13, verse 41, when he comes back, he's going to send forth his angels to gather out all the stumbling blocks. And you just sense the special judgment on those who've caused his children to stumble, those who've brought scandal to the name of Christ, those who have divided and caused dissension and hindrances and stumbling. And then notice their teaching, look at the middle of verse 17, their teaching is contrary to the teaching which you learned. You know, the root word for heresy is simply other, heteros. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy, and he said, watch out for those who teach, and our Bible says strange doctrines or strange teaching, but the word, it's a compound word, heteros, other didascalia, other teachings, other than the scripture, other than what you've received. And you know, false teachers are marked by that. You watch out for anybody who comes to you with a Bible, but then brings another book too. It's a mark of a false teacher. They teach contrary to what you've received. Paul says in Galatians, I'm concerned because people are bringing you another Jesus. And you're believing him. Another gospel, as if there was another gospel. He says, there really isn't. But you're putting up with it. He talks about the same thing in 2 Corinthians 11. And I'll tell you, 
Uh, false teachers love to pray out on the fringe, you know, and they're always looking for new and exotic teaching. And he says, keep your eye on those. Watch out. They're slaves, verse 18, not of Christ, but of their own bellies, literally, of their own appetites, of their own bellies. You know, they're fleshly, they're earthly, they're driven by their own senses, what they want. They're, they live, they're unregenerate. They're just like the world. Now, they're religious, I know. But they are driven by money. They're driven by greed. They're driven by oftentimes passion. They're driven, they're slaves, not of Christ, but of their own bellies. I wish they'd have left it, quite frankly, because it speaks so much more clearly to what they're driven by. But appetites is a good translation. The idea being... Uh, you know, just driven by that which someone who doesn't know the Lord. And he says, watch out. And they're smooth. Notice, they're smooth. By their smooth and flattering speech, they're easy to listen to. Ear ticklers, smooth and flattering. There'll never be a shortage of those who tickle the ears, give people what they want to hear. And there'll never be a shortage, I'm convinced, of those who will listen who like to just hear what they want to hear. And one of the earmarks of false teaching, and you have to take this all in context, it's not that anything that has any one of these earmarks is going to be false or going to be in the cult category or anything like that, but you watch for this and be discerning, he says. Keep your eye on this sort of thing. And a gospel, for instance, that flatters is a suspect gospel. A gospel that says what a neat person you are. In other words, a gospel much like our generation has really bought into. You don't have to get all down about your sin and all this worrisome stuff about repentance and all that stuff. You know, God loves you and it's okay. You're, you're a wonderful person and he loves everybody. And, and, you know, that kind of a gospel that's a flattering gospel is at best suspect. And what we need to do is we need to go back to our Bible and make sure that we're proclaiming a biblical gospel and be sure that we even correct those who are maybe wandering off into a flattering kind of a message that never really presses home the issue. Jesus said as he left, I want this message of forgiveness. And boy, we celebrate forgiveness. We're going to tonight, as we look at Jesus, the friend of sinners, it's going to be wonderful to realize that God forgives. He's a God of mercy. But he said... I want this message of forgiveness. He said, I want you to proclaim repentance for forgiveness of sins in my name to all the nations. And so beware of uh, teaching that becomes more and more man-honoring and man-exalting and flattering. And then notice the last phrase there, they deceive their deceivers. Sometimes people say to me, yeah, but they seem so sincere. I get asked that about cults sometimes. They just seem so sincere. They're so genuine. Well, they might be at a certain level. Because Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 13, and he said, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Deceivers get so good at trafficking in deception that pretty soon they believe their own lies. And I don't have any doubt that some of these deceivers in our generation are self-deceived. You traffic with deception, and pretty soon you don't know up from down. And that's very true in things of God. And uh, so he says they're deceiving. Now notice who they deceive. Look at the end of verse 18. They deceive the hearts 
of the unsuspecting, of the innocent, of the guileless, of those who might be considered naive or simple. The simple believes everything, the proverb says. The naive believes everything, but the prudent man considers his steps. We're to be discerning. We're to be not unsuspecting. Teach your children, parents, that there's right and there's wrong, and you don't just believe everything you hear. Teach them to be discerning. It isn't uh, non-Christian or unchristian to be critical in thinking. No, be discerning. Now, don't have a critical spirit, but be thoughtful and critical in what you take in and uh, examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good, 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says. And now I just, uh, I just remind you, notice the simplicity of Paul's instruction here. He gives this warning, and then notice the simplicity. What does he say to do? He says, keep your eye on them. Scopeo, scope, keep the scope, you know, scope it out. Keep your eye on them. And then, look at the end of verse 17. Turn away from them. Avoid, shun, refuse them. Don't always do battle with the false teachers. Just keep your eye on them and stay away from them. And that's often the advice of Scripture. The Roman church was doing well. He says, the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I'm rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Boy, that's great advice. He's not calling the Romans to start studying the cults or getting involved in really learning what the false teaches. No, he says, I want you to be wise in what is good, innocent in what is evil. Brethren, Paul wrote in Corinthians, don't be... Do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be babes, but in your thinking be mature. Jesus said, I want you to be shrewd as serpents, but innocent as doves. Uh, we don't have to get involved in all the false teaching. He said, just stay clear of it. Stay clear of it. Be wise in what is good, innocent in what is evil. Young people, you don't have to know what's going on. You don't have to get in all involved in it to be discerning. And I know if you keep yourself from things and if you do what Jesus said to do and what Paul advises here, I know there'll be a certain kind of a mocking and a, and a you know, ridicule of your lack of sophistication or whatever because you haven't done or known about these things or that stuff. You know. But I'll tell you what, uh, don't ever think of it as a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. And the God the Almighty God, look at verse 20, of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God is for us. Who can be against us? The God who brought the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of Almighty God for salvation. And we ought to be wise in what is good. We ought to learn the truth and stay clear of the air, both doctrinally and morally. And we'll be useful to our Lord. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Greetings and Warnings, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
If you've ever wanted Pastor Scott's sermon library in the palm of your hand, we have a new app available called the Abide app. It's available in both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. Along with the sermon library, you'll also find Scott's written publications, biblical seminars on a variety of subjects, daily devotional videos, this radio program, and the Abide Method, a monthly Bible reading and writing plan developed by Scott to give you the opportunity to read and write out Scripture. These resources all come free within the app, so if you're looking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please consider downloading the Abide app in either the Apple or Google App Stores. We'd love to get this valuable resource into your hands. We'd like to remind you that Abide in the Word only remains on this station through the generous contributions of listeners like you. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us in this Bible teaching ministry? We'd love to have you join us. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. God is able to establish you. The idea of establish is stability. Uh firm ground, he to be strengthened to where we're strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He is able to establish you. It's the same word translated when Jesus in Luke 9, when he set his face resolutely, nobody was going to keep him from Jerusalem. And he set his face, I think the old King James had it like flint, he set his face resolutely. He resolved, I'm headed to Jerusalem. And the rest of the book of Luke, you know, is his tracking to Jerusalem. Nothing was going to deter him. No one can thwart the purposes of God. God is able to establish us. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Praise to the Only Wise God. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 